You are listening to the Discovery City Church Sermon Podcast. To learn more about us, including our location and service times, please visit us at discoverycitychurch.com. We hope this sermon will encourage and build your faith as you pursue God, community, and influence within your world. Now, the message from our lead pastor, Caleb York. I know for many of you, this is either your first or second week here with us. For most of you, you were here last week with our Easter service, and now you're here joining us on this journey today. Can I say I'm so excited that you came back to be a part of this journey as we go through, is it possible? For the next few weeks, we're going to ask the question, is it possible for what happened in here to happen in here? Is it possible for what happened to these people to happen to these people? Is it possible? Sadly today, too many Christians, they view this book as a history book. And they even say things like this, you know, God did this. God was this. God used to do this. But the problem with that mindset, the problem with that mindset is that scriptures tell us that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And the same great God who did things through people's lives in this book can do great things through your life today. It's possible. But before we go any further, I've got to give you guys a little bit of a disclaimer, all right? Just get ready for this. I've got a little disclaimer for you. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, I want you to understand something. It's going to be a little uncomfortable this morning, all right? If you're a Christian, it's going to be a little uncomfortable, I'm going to, you know, we're going to talk about some things, and I'm just telling you right now, don't get mad when it happens. When you hear something that kind of hits you the wrong way, don't get mad. Don't run off. Don't don't leave angry. Just prepare yourself right now. There's my little disclaimer. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit back and enjoy watching the Christian squirm this morning. All right, that's that's what I want you to do. So if you're not a Christian, that's what I want you to do. But that's that's my warning right there, just to give you it up front. But for the next few weeks, I want to lay out what Christ expects from those that follow him. Last week, we began this story, and we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. If you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, if you don't have your Bibles, we've got it up on the screen. But Acts chapter 2, go and hold your place there at Acts chapter 2. Last week we talked about Jesus and how he rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And then we see, we see that we celebrated his resurrection last week. We didn't celebrate his crucifixion. We celebrated his resurrection. He comes back and hundreds of eyewitnesses see him. Hundreds of eyewitnesses see him doing, he's alive. He's not dead anymore. He's alive. Last week we said it's not a weekend at Bernie's thing. He is actually alive. But he comes back, and we said last week as a church, we don't believe the Easter story because the Bible tells us so. That's kids' logic right there. If someone says, hey, you need to believe this because the Bible tells us so, that's not enough for me. I hope it's not enough for you. We believe the Easter story because of the eyewitnesses, because what they saw Because they talked to him. And then they wrote it down so that we can actually read it today. And so after they see him, we see these people who ran in fear because they were afraid that what happened to Jesus was going to happen to them. 
We see them suddenly out in the open, boldly proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming this simple message. And the message is this. You killed them. God raised them. We've seen them. Now say you're sorry. And with that simple message, we see thousands of people give their lives and become followers of Christ. And so today, we're going to pick up where we left off with the start of the early church in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says this, and they devoted themselves. They were completely and wholly devoted to Jesus. Can you say, can you say that word with me this morning? Can you say it? Ready? One, two, three. Devoted. All together. Ready? One, two, three. Devoted. They were completely devoted. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. This word devoted, or the word that it comes from, devotion. Let's keep reading in verse, uh, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. We see this is the start of the church right here. And this, they give us a list of what they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, can I ask you this? What were they teaching? You might tell me. I wasn't going to take a guess. This is a silent treatment. They were teaching Jesus. The apostles were teaching Jesus, just to give you a heads up, if you've grown up in church or maybe this is your first time in church, the answer is always Jesus, all right? We, we actually have community groups at our, at our house, and my team, they get kind of funny because they start answering, Jesus? Well, the answer to that question is Jesus. Well, you know what? Most of the time, the answer is Jesus. So who, who did they teach about? Jesus, you got it. All right, you're catching on. All right, and then it says, guess what? They devoted themselves to fellowship. Fellowship with who? Jesus. All right, we're, we're seeing a pattern here. And then it says they're breaking bread. They devote themselves to the breaking of bread. And the bread represents the body of? Jesus. All right, and then they devote themselves to prayer. Prayer to who? Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. It's always Jesus course, unless it's not. But they were completely devoted to Jesus at the start of the early church. And we see in verse 43, it continues, and all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, I think every single one of us here this morning, we would love to see something amazing happen through our lives, in our family's lives, in the life of this church, wouldn't we? Would you agree with that? Yeah, we do. We would love to see something amazing happen in our lives. You would like to see God do something amazing through you, yes? But before that can happen, before that can happen in our lives, what came first for them? They were completely devoted first to Jesus. And we're going to talk and ask this question. Is it possible that we can be devoted here as they were in here? And so that's what we're going to be talking about this morning, devotion. Because I am absolutely tired of this halfway play church survival Christianity lifestyle that's been taking place in our churches in this world today. It's been this play the game church. We've got churches all over this United States that are doing exactly that. They play the game. They're halfway in. They're not completely devoted. I even hear people say, okay, God, 
I'm completely devoted to you. God, I give you everything. I'm devoted to you on Sunday. Sunday is your day. But Monday through Saturday, I'm going to live like hell. Because it's my life, and I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and you can kiss my butt. That's how a lot of Christians act towards God. Did you realize that? We see churches filled with people like this. That's devotion in our world today, in our churches. Devotion in our churches today has made it this, where someone walks in, and if they have piercing and tattoos, we automatically think, well, that person has to be far from God, because just look at him. And then the guy walks in with the suit and tie and the nice hair, and we're like, that guy, he's got to be close to God. That's the guy. We need him as a deacon. We need to get him plugged in. When in fact, he's probably the biggest hypocrite in the whole city. That's what devotion is in our churches today. That's what we call devotion today. And the church is completely mixed up. Because what do we see Jesus tell us? He tells us that God looks on the inside when churches are so busy looking on the outside. They look at the outward. What does that mean right there when it says God looks at the inward? What does that mean? It means are you truly devoted to God? Are you truly devoted to Jesus? If you've got your service guides, go ahead and get that out this morning. We're gonna, maybe you were here last week. We're one of those weird churches. We take notes, all right? That's why we put a pen in every single seat. We take notes because we actually want us to grow and we actually want us to learn, all right? We want us to change. And with the way we think that works is if we write things down, it'll help us remember it. Maybe you're used to going to a church where the message starts and you kind of slip into a coma for like a while and then you like come out of it and then you leave all feeling better because you were here. You know what? That's not this church. That's some other church, all right? We want you to actually grow. So take notes with us this morning. Follow along as we go. And here's the first question that I want every person here to answer that is a Christian, all right? If you're a Christian here this morning, I want you to answer this question because if you're not a Christian, this is going to seem stupid to you. This is going to be foolishness. The preaching of the cross is, 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 the cross is foolishness to those who don't believe. So if you're a Christian this morning, answer this question yourself. Has there ever been a time when you were closer to God than you are right now? Has there ever been a time when you were closer to God than you are right now? And I want to give you a follow-up question. Who moved? Him or you? Who was it? Did he move or did you move? If God was sitting on this stage right now and he could point out to you, what would he say when he pointed at you? Would he say, oh yeah, that guy right there, dude, he is one of my followers. He is completely devoted, man. He is on game, ready to roll. Or would he say, you know what? Now they're just playing the game. They're just playing the church game. They're just going through the motions. What would he say? They're just putting on a show. You know, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous lifestyle as a Christian to live a life that's just putting on a show. And the reason why is this. I want you to write this down. Secrecy will eventually lead to destruction. If you're playing this game, if you're pretending to be a Christian, if you're pretending to be fully devoted, it's dangerous. Because secrecy will eventually lead to destruction. Are you devoted or are there secret areas of your life where you're like, God, you can have all of me, but not this area. God, you've got all this. I'm giving you all of this, but this little thing over here, it's mine. You can't touch that. God, 
You can have my Friday, no, God, you can have everything else, but Friday nights, those are mine. You can't, don't touch those, God. God, you can have everything else. You have all of me, but not my relationship. Like, I don't want you involved in my relationship, okay? Stay out of that. God, you can have all of me, but my money, my finances, don't, you ain't touching any of that. Don't even try. Are you fully devoted? Are you completely devoted? Or are there secret areas of your life? We love to play this game where we say we're completely devoted. We do as Christians. I'm completely devoted, but not this. Are there areas in your life where you're trying to hide secrets from others? Maybe something that only you know, or maybe a few others know. But if we put it up on the screen right now, it would fill you with shame and pain because you wouldn't want anybody to see it. Are there secret areas like that in your life? And can I tell you this? Can you honestly say I'm completely devoted to God? This can be a tough subject right here. It really can. It's a tough subject for every Christian because guess what? The reason I mention it is if there are secret areas in your life that you haven't completely given to God, then as Christians, we're going to be out of step with him. If we have areas that we're holding back and we're saying, yeah, God, you can't really have this area, then we're going to be out of step with him. And we talk as Christians all the time how we need to be in step with God. Because when we're not in step, we can't grow. When we're not in step with him, it messes everything up and it brings a possibility of danger. Because it's a dangerous way to live a life as a Christian, as we're going to see in Acts in just a second. The other day I was uh, waking up, I was in bed waking up, and I thought I heard the faint noise of the trash truck. Has anybody done the trash truck you know, dash where you run out there and you're like, I didn't put the can out, I didn't do it. In our house, I got five kids and then we have guests over all the time, we have people come over all the time. If we get behind on trash one week, it's over. Like, we'll never get caught up. I actually, I, I, I did a, the, uh, the elusive double dump this last week. I, they dumped it one time, and the truck went down, and I put it on the other side of the road, filled it back up, and they dumped it again. I'm like, yes. But this morning, I'd woken up, and I heard the faint noise of the trash truck coming. And instantly, I jump out of bed, and I'm trying to throw clothes on. Man, I get some shorts on, and I grab a shirt. And I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but have you ever had it where you've gotten out of bed too fast, and you're not fully awake yet? You're still super groggy, and you're, but, you're, but you're reacting, but you're moving. Well, I grab this shirt, and we have a two-story house, and I go and walk around the banister to go down the steps, and I was able to slip my arm into my shirt and pull it over my head, and I had my other arm in there, and all of a sudden, I felt my heel catch the edge of our carpeted steps, and I couldn't tell you what happened because I was blindfolded. I mean, I've got my shirt over my head. All I know is I was airborne for a little while. I mean, everything slowed down. I'm like, what is going on? And then all of a sudden, gravity took over, and I hit as many stairs as I could going down the steps. At the bottom of our steps was like this wire cage that held our shoes. I felt my legs slide underneath that thing, and the bottom step just punched me right in the ribs. And I had carpet burn all the way down my arm. I mean, I, when I hit the bottom and everything stopped, I was just, I, I couldn't move. I was just like, 
and I heard my wife walk over and she said, oh my goodness. And then my son ran to the top of the steps and he just goes, ha, 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 he just starts laughing. My kids start laughing at me. Not one person in my entire family said, are you okay? Not one. And I gave them grief about that afterwards because I got up so slowly and I just pulled my shirt on the rest of the way. And I, I was like, forget the trash. I walked over and just sat on my couch and was just like, <laughs> like I'm just breathing because I'm, my body is in shock. It's like checking all the systems, like what else is damaged? My thumb was numb as can be. And actually, I'm still having trouble with it today. This was months ago. And so, but I've thought back so many times, if I'd only caught that one step just right, I would have pulled my shirt on. I would have gone downstairs. Everything would have been fine. There wouldn't have been one problem. Everything would have been okay if I just caught that one step. And this morning for Christians, that's my fear for you. That you're walking out of step with God. Because when you do that as a Christian, it always causes pain. To miss that step to be walking out of step with him. And if you're living a secret life out of step with God, it never ends well. And we're gonna find that out in Acts chapter five. Acts chapter five, we see the story of Ananias and Sapphira. And maybe you've heard this one before, maybe you haven't. But I once heard a pastor describe this story like this. He said, when it came to Ananias and Sapphira, he said, they lied, they died, and they fried. That was, that was his like breakdown of that story. And you know what? I don't believe that's true. I don't believe that's true. You know what? I truly believe that actually Ananias and Sapphira were Christians. And they loved Jesus. But something happened in their life. Something happened along the way. They became out of step with God. We talked last week how the church exploded. It grew like never before. And we see something happen. Thousands are added to the church. And things got so crazy. We even see people say, I am fully devoted. I am completely devoted to Jesus. And what we see happens in this church is people begin to bring things to the church. They were selling things. And when I say selling things, they weren't selling lamps. They were selling their homes. They were selling land. They were selling animals. And they were bringing the proceeds and they were putting them and laying them at the feet of the apostles. Why? Because they wanted to make the apostles rich. No, that's not what was happening. Because they wanted to see the gospel spread further than it had ever been spread in history. They saw how important it was. And they were willing to give it all. They were fully devoted but we see what happens in the story. We see in Acts chapter four, we see a man named Barnabas. He sells some property and he brings all the proceeds and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. And I imagine this happens in the story. Ananias is there and he sees what's going on. And he's like, man, this guy's getting a lot of attention. I mean, look, everybody's like patting him on the back. They're like, good job, Barnabas. Man, this is gonna reach a lot of people. And Ananias looked at him and said, I want to get me some of that attention. I need me some of that attention. I like what's going on here. And so he comes up with this plan. And we're going to look at Acts chapter 5 verse 1. Acts chapter 5 verse 1 says this. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back, uh, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want you to catch something here with the story. The issue is not that he didn't give it all. 
That is not the issue. So many people are like, well, he should have given it all. No, 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 that's not the issue. The issue is not that he didn't give all the money. The issue is that he was being deceptive. He was being deceptive. At some point, he had made some grand statement in front of everybody. Listen up, everyone. Listen, can I get everybody's attention? I'm going to sell this large piece of property that I own, and I'm going to give it all to God. He made this promise, and it was like extravagant. He did it right in front of everybody. And so he comes, and he lays this portion before the disciples, and he's being deceptive. Not only that, he gets together with his wife, Sapphira, and they plan this thing out completely. Notice verse 3 says this, But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Now, I want to ask this. How did Peter know what had happened? I'm sure they were super secretive about this plan. Like they were undercover. They did all this thing just perfectly. They only talked in the dark of night, things like that. How did Peter know? God told him. God told him exactly what had happened. God spilt the beans. And we see Peter responds this way. I tell you, this happens all the time in church. This happens all the time in church when people stand up and sing, I surrender all, except for Friday nights, those are mine. I surrender all, except for my finances, you ain't touching that, nuh-uh. All to thee, my blessed. Yeah, sure you do. We see that happen all the time in church. People playing the game. What happens in verse 4? While it remained unsold, Peter says this, did it not remain your own, and after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? He's like, man, what are you doing? You owned it. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to do any of this stuff. You, you, know, you say you were going to give it all. You didn't have to do that. Why did you say that? You could have kept the whole thing for yourself. And then he goes on, verse 4. Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And this is the point where all the Christians in the room go, well, you know what? Thank goodness God is a gracious God. Thank goodness that God is a God of love and grace and he just prances around and he sprinkles magical dust on his children. Thank goodness. That's not what happens. It's not what happens at all. Because look what happens. Verse five, when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. He's dead. He falls down dead, just like that. And with that in mind, I want to go and have our ushers come forward, and we're going to take up our offering this morning. No, I'm just kidding. You guys are like, I saw some of you are like, what? He's going to kill us? No. Because he's being deceptive. He's being deceptive in this story. Look at verse 5 again. It says, And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young man rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. This is a tragedy right here. This is a tragic story. But guess what? It's not over yet. It keeps going. Verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much. Now right here, if this was a movie, this is the point where we say, Don't lie. Don't lie. Don't do it. No, don't lie. Don't do it, Sapphire. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Tell the truth. She doesn't. She lies. Verse 8, and she said, yes, for so much. 
But Peter said to her, how is it that you've agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. And immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. She dies too. And when the young men came in, they found her dead. And they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Now this is the point where someone always says, dang, man, you're going to preach this after Easter service? Like after Easter Sunday? How could you bring this up? That's a little bit extreme. I mean, like, you need to take it down a notch. We got some people here that think that God's all love, 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 and he's a bunny, and he's just going to, you're just going to come all strong with this story? Like, what are you talking about? Can I tell you the theme of this story right here? God don't play no games. We have so many Christians that are playing church, and God don't play no games. Can I tell you to God, 95% commitment is 5% short. Are you fully devoted Because he was willing to die on a cross for you and for me. He gave everything. And he expects us to give everything in return. He does. Not to be completely perfect, but to be completely devoted to him. You know, this topic of being completely devoted is not a popular message in our world today. Full devotion to God is not something Christians want to hear. They would rather hear, hey, you do whatever you want to do with your life, and God, he's just going to have to deal with it. He's just going to have to be gracious and deal with it. And too often in our world today, Christians are content with inconsistency and partial devotion to God. What's even worse is we try to justify it in our minds. And so today, I want to give you three ways that we justify inconsistency. Write this down. Three ways that we justify inconsistency. Number one, through involvement. Through involvement. We justify inconsistency in our life and in our faith through involvement. Well, Caleb, let me just tell you something. I'm really busy with something that's really important. Like I've got something that's really big that I'm involved with. You know, people tell me this all the time. And it's probably because I'm a pastor. They feel like they have to brag to me. They have to tell me. I have people walk up all the time. They're like, hey, Caleb, I just want to let you know I went and fed the homeless today. Like, I did that this week. I just want to let you know. I just want to drop that on you. You don't know why they feel like they have to communicate that with me? Because there are inconsistencies in their life. And it makes them feel better when they say, I'm involved. I'm involved. I'm doing this. Okay, well, wait a second, Caleb. I know that I'm involved. I know I'm, I'm doing this thing, and it's not right. But, you know, I just want to let you know something. I've been to church the last five weeks. Five weeks. That's big. Or I even hear people, you know what, I, I, I served in the explosion. I even got an orange shirt. I put an orange shirt on, and I patted the kids on the head, and we had such a great time. And that's got to mean something, right? I know I'm doing this thing that's wrong, but I helped with the explosion. I'm like one of the leaders. I'm, I'm big time now. That's got to mean something, right? We try to justify our inconsistency, areas of our life that we don't let God into with involvement. We do this all the time with sin. You know, I, I, I know that I'm doing this thing that is wrong. I know that I'm looking at this thing that I shouldn't be. I know that I'm with this person and I know this relationship is wrong, but I do a lot of good stuff. 
I do a lot of good stuff, and that's got to help me somehow, doesn't it? Like, that's got to that's balance some things out. That's got to be worth something. Can I tell you this? Karma doesn't work with Christianity. It really doesn't. Karma doesn't work with Christianity. I mean, if you think karma and Christianity mix, that's like me saying, hey, the other night I went to Outback Steakhouse and I ordered the biggest blooming onion they had for an appetizer just myself. I didn't take anybody else with me. And I ate that whole thing. Oh, so good. You get that little dipping sauce, you dip it in. And then I ordered the biggest steak that they had with all the sides and the fixings. And oh, man, dude, I ate that entire thing. And then I got the biggest piece of cake that they had there, and I just devoured. I mean, people were staring at me. It looked weird because I was all by myself. But I just want to tell you, I didn't gain one pound. I didn't gain one pound because you know why? I drank a Diet Coke. I drank a Diet Coke, and it made it all better. I didn't gain one pound. Isn't that amazing? I just drank a Diet Coke, and it made it all better. But that's how we try to act. That's what we try to do as Christians. We try to justify it and say, you know what? But I did this. I'm involved with this thing right now, but I don't let God into areas of my life. But I did all this good stuff. We think good outweighs the bad, and it's just not true. That's not how God works. That's not how he does things. We think we can justify our inconsistencies with involvement. Second thing I want you to write down is this. We think we can justify our inconsistency with comparison. We love to justify our inconsistency with comparison. Now, if you're not a Christian today, let me tell you something about Christians. Christians are the worst when it comes to talking about others. We are. We really are. We're the worst when it comes to talking about other people. Well, I know I'm not perfect, but you know that Bob guy. He's got some problems. He's messed up. Like, I, I, you got to hear all the stuff that he did. Well, I, I know this can be concerning, but I have a prayer request. I have a prayer request. This person is in a mess, and I really can't share all the details. Well, let me tell you some of the dirt. We love to talk about other people. We love to share those things. We love to play the comparison game. And you know, maybe Ananias and Sapphira, they got caught into that same thing. You know, I don't have to give it all. I can just give a part of it. At least I'm giving more than that guy is. You know, I'm, I'm at least giving more than he is. I'm at least covering more than what he's even going to give at all. We play the comparison game to justify our inconsistency. Well, as long as someone else is worse than me, I'm okay. We do this all the time. Well, you know, I don't have to be completely devoted to God. That's a little bit strong. I don't have to be completely devoted. I just need to be more devoted than that guy. Like, that guy's fooling everybody on Sunday. Like, he's, he's a mess. I, I, at least I'm better than that guy. I think I'm more committed than that person is, and that's good enough for me. We love to justify inconsistency with comparison. And then thirdly, we love to justify our inconsistency with deception. We deceive ourselves. When I was a teenager, my parents lived in northwest Arkansas in the hills. We were out in the country. And our house was located in what we call the holler. If you don't know what a holler is, that's where two mountains meet at the bottom. And so our house is located in this beautiful holler. I mean, my childhood, we just ran like into the woods. It was like Lord of the Flies at our house, dude. We were just as kids running through the woods. That was our upbringing. And so when I was in high school, 
It was Thanksgiving, and my two older brothers, they came back from college, and they were there for Thanksgiving. And I guess a few nights before, we had had a storm happen, a big storm happen, and a tree had fallen down in our backyard, a good-sized tree, not too big, but a good-sized tree. Had some big branches. And so my dad said, boys, come outside. Let's go, let's go cut up this tree. We're going to turn it into firewood and collect the branches for kindling and stuff like that. So we're like, okay, dad. So we go outside and we're collecting stuff up. And I remember I looked over in the corner of my eye. I saw my older brother, Ben. He walks over and he picks up this big branch and he lifts it over his head. And then he turns and there was a tree over there and he ran at this tree and then just threw this branch. And when it hit that tree, it just snapped perfectly in half and then he collected it up and he put it on the pile. Now, if you got brothers, it's like an invited challenge. Anytime we do something manly, it's like an invited challenge for me to do better than you. And so when I saw my brother Ben do this, I was like, I can do better than that. And so I started looking around. I started hunting for the perfect branch. I'm going to get one that's even bigger and show them that I'm even stronger than Ben is. And so I look around and I find the perfect branch. I grab it, man. I pick it up. It's, oh, it's perfect. It's nice and heavy. And I turn and I look at that tree and I look at my brothers and I'm like, watch this. And I go and I throw that branch as hard as I can. And it hit that tree and bounced right back and hit me in the face. And the crazy part was this. I turn around and I look up in the window of my house and my mom and my sister-in-law are standing there and they're laughing extremely hard because they watched the entire thing and they happened to be filming it when it happened. Like they didn't know I was going to do that. They were just filming us boys out there working. And so every time we come back home for holidays, they're like, hey, let's watch that video where Caleb gets hit in the head with a tree branch. Let's do that. You know, I deceived myself. I deceived myself into thinking I could do as much as he could. I deceived myself. I didn't think anybody was going to get hurt, including myself. And we as Christians, we do that all the time. We deceive ourselves. There's areas of sin in our lives, and we think to ourselves, well, you know, it's not going to affect anybody. No one's going to get hurt. Everyone's going to be just fine. We deceive ourselves. And Nice and Sapphira, I'm sure they did the exact same thing. Well, you know, we'll be okay because God is gracious and God is loving and he's just going to forgive us and we're going to be, we're going to be fine. We're going to be okay. But guess what? We're going to abuse God's grace a little bit. We're going to take advantage of it because he is a good God. Let's take advantage of that grace. We're going to be just fine. And instead, everything ends poorly, doesn't it? For their story. Maybe you're here today and you know what that secret area is in your life. I even thought about having like a list. Like I was going to list all the possible sins that we all could be dealing with and stuff like that. But the truth is, if you're a Christian here this morning, if you're truly a Christian, you know what it is. You know what that area is in your life. Scripture tells us that God's law is written not only in our heart, but on our minds. You know what it is. You know what that thing is. You know what that secret area is in your life. What is it for you? What is it for you this morning? What's that area that you don't let God into? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, well, it's my life. I can do whatever I want, and God, he's just going to have to be gracious and deal with it. He's just going to have to get over it. But the reality is, if you're a follower of Christ... It's not your life anymore. It's not your life anymore. You belong to him. 
Some of you might say, well, that's a little too extreme for me. Like, I, I'm, I'm not that far into this. That's, that's a bit extreme because there's no worse feeling than someone else being in control of you. You see, we see so many Christians today. Everybody wants a Savior, but only a few want a Lord. Everybody wants a Savior. Just get me out of heaven. You know, get me out of hell. Free card, God. Just get me that out. Get out of hell. I, I want to go to heaven. Everybody wants a Savior, but only a few actually want a Lord. And there's a big difference there. That word Lord is completely misunderstood in our world today. It's completely misunderstood. Did you know that in the Old Testament of Scripture, I, I hear people all the time that knock the Bible because of what they read in the Old Testament. They really do. They knock the whole thing. Well, I don't really read or listen to the Bible because did you know there's slavery in the Bible? And I hate slavery. You know, when I hear someone say that, I can tell they have no idea what they're talking about because much of slavery we see in the Old Testament was actually chosen. They chose to be slaves. What you would do is you would find a wealthy landowner someone who had many possessions, and you would go to them and you would, you would pitch this, this idea. Hey, listen, I see that you got lots of money and you have lots of influence. And I need some protection, I need some food, and I need a place to live. If I be your slave, if I become your slave, will you give me those things? And if the wealthy landowner agreed, what they would do is they would take a ring and they would put it in that person's ear so everyone would know they were a slave to that person and then that person was their Lord. If that person told them to go do something, they did it. If they were told to go somewhere, they went because that was their Lord. They were in charge and they wanted it that way because they offered protection, because they offered food, because they offered money, because they offered a place to live. And so when Jesus came along and said, hey, I want to be the Lord of your life, the people who heard this, they knew exactly what he was talking about. But that's not what we hear today, is it? When we think of Lord today, we sort of think of like landlord. You know, that person who comes up and makes suggestions, and you kind of just roll your eyes and like, whatever. You'll get your rent check. That's what people think of Lord today. That's what comes to mind for them and we've got the terms completely mixed up. He wants to be the Lord of your life. And he has the right to. He has the right to be. Because he's paid for you with his own blood. And if you're his follower, you belong to Jesus. I'm sure Ananias and Sapphira could have had said something like this. Listen, you know, it's my life. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. It's my choice. And it doesn't affect anybody. It doesn't affect a soul. Well, let me ask you this. Ananias' choice, did it affect his wife? You bet it did. You bet it did. If they had children, did it affect their children? Without a doubt. They had no parents. They're orphans now. You know, that sin cycle, it's vicious. It's a vicious, vicious thing. But did you know, who do your kids learn to sin from? They learn from you. And my kids, they learn from their mother. I just can't believe it. I'm glad she's not in here today. You know what? They learn to sin from me. And you think you're fooling anybody? You think you're fooling someone? You think you can hide this thing away? You're not. You're not fooling anybody. Ananias and Sapphira, their decisions affected their family. Did it affect the church? Yes, it did. This was the first death in the church. 
the very first death. Well, Caleb, you know, God is loving and he won't let anything bad happen to me. I'm going to be just fine. That's a dangerous way to live as a Christian. You know, did you know? Scripture actually tells us that one thing that God cannot do. There's one thing that God cannot do. And I actually want to look at that right now. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 says this. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. God cannot be mocked. He is holy. God is holy. And he will not compromise his holiness for anyone. He cannot be mocked. And then it continues. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Well, my decision, it's not going to affect anybody. It's not affecting anybody but in the end, it winds up affecting everybody. It even says it right there. Whatever you sow, you also reap. It ends up affecting everyone in your life. Is there a secret area in your life where God's not allowed in? Where you don't let God in? You refuse to let him in. If maybe today you've discovered what that area is in you. Maybe you're at a point where you're saying, hey, Caleb, you know, I'm ready to do something about this. I'm ready to change this. What do I do? What do I do about this? How can I overcome this area in my life? How can I be free from this thing that seems to control me? This area where I refuse to let God in. I'll tell you today, the answer for that question is actually a question. And I want to look at that first. My question is this. What if you lived a life that was completely free from secrecy? What if you lived a life that was completely free from secrecy? You didn't have to worry about who saw you. You didn't have to worry about who you lied to and what tracks you had to cover. You wouldn't have to worry about who saw you seeing something that you were watching that you weren't supposed to be watching or saw you being somewhere that you weren't supposed to be. Could you imagine the freedom that you would experience if in your life you were known as a person that was completely committed to Christ? Before we came here to plant this church, I actually, me and my wife, we went through a church planning assessment. And you want to talk about fun? I mean, it was two days of being grilled on your life. I mean, just interrogation style. It was without the light, of course, you know, no light, blinding light in your face. But they asked us every single question about our marriage, about uh, parenting, about uh, relationships, my past work. I mean, they asked everything because they wanted to know, are we equipped to do this job of church planning, to go and start a church from nothing? Are we equipped? And so we went through this two days. And by the end of the two days, like you, literally, yes, my wife, we were just like shaking. Like that's, that's just how it was to be grilled like that. But when we came to the end, they said, hey, calm down. It's okay. This is the end. Like, this is like our final celebration. No more questions. You're going to be all right. And we were like, okay, good, good. All right. We're, we're good. And I had a man come up to me, one of my assessors, and he pointed his finger at me. And he said this, he said, Caleb, this city needs you to stay pure. This city needs you to be humble. 
Because I've seen pastors that have destroyed churches because they got into impurity, adulterous relationships. They, they, they became so full of themselves. It destroyed not only their churches, it destroyed their families, it destroyed their relationships, it destroyed everything. And this city needs you to stay pure and this city needs you to be humble. And this morning, guess what I'm gonna do? I turn that finger that was pointed at me to you. Because your family, your friends, this city needs you to be fully committed to Christ. They need you to be fully committed to Jesus. They need you to stand up and refuse to harbor areas of sin in your life. They need you to tell them the truth about Jesus Christ because he's the only one that really changes things. They need you. I heard a story the other day of a pastor. He was inviting a lady to his church. And um, the lady said, oh yeah, you know, I've heard of your church. But she goes, I'm never going to come there. And he was like, really, why? Like, why would you come to our church? She says, well, I work in this office. And I know one of your church members. She works in the office as well. And she's invited me to your church many, many times. But everyone in that office knows that she's in an adulterous affair right now. She's in an affair. She's cheating on her own husband. And if that's the way your church is, if that's the way Christians are, I want nothing to do with it. Can I tell you this? You want to ruin a testimony? Be partially committed to Christ. You want to ruin any chance you have for reaching your family and your friends for Jesus? Play the church game. And then nobody will believe you. There's too much that depends on us being completely and fully devoted to Christ and refusing to harbor areas of secrecy and sin in our life to continue to flourish. It's too important. Too much depends on us. Maybe today you've gotten to the point where you say, you know what, Caleb, I'm done with this. I'm finished with this sin. I'm finished with this thing. What do I do to change this? What can I do to change what's happening? What do I do with my past life of sin in these areas that I'm letting control me? What do I do? Write this down. Number one, confession. What can I do? Confession. Confession is the first thing. Now, some of you, you've heard this before. You've heard this thing before, and it's not groundbreaking for you, but if you really think about it, it actually is. It's extremely groundbreaking. You've been confused by this word in the past. Some of you think confession is telling God something that he doesn't already know. Like he's up in heaven go, oh my me, did you, I can't believe you did that. Did you hear what they did? They just told me, I didn't even know this happened. Why did you do it? God's not up in heaven confused. He knows what you did. Confession's not telling God what he doesn't already know. Confession, true confession, is when we tell God, I'm living a way that I know is wrong but I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And I'm living, I'm not living this way anymore. I'm finished with that. That's true confession. It's not, oh, you know, God, I, you know, I'm sleeping with my boyfriend and I just need forgiveness. I promise I, I won't do it again, even though I'm going to do it again next week. But forgive me for that. That's not true confession because it's lacking number two. Secondly, Repentance. Now, repentance right here, it's an old-fashioned word, but it's a great word. The definition of repentance means to turn away, 
to turn around and go the opposite direction, to com- turn completely the opposite direction of your sin and go towards God. Well, Caleb, you know, I really want to do that today. I really want to turn away from my sin and go the opposite direction. But would God take me back? You don't know the things that I've done. You don't know the decisions I've made. Would God even want me back? You know what, for that question right there, I want to let him answer that. In John chapter 15, verse 13, this is Jesus before he dies on the cross. And he's sitting with his disciples and they're having this discussion. Notice what he says. John chapter 15, verse 13. 13 says this. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends. We see two times right there he says the word friends. And it continues. If you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. And at this point, there's always someone that's like, oh, that's so sweet. He called them friends. He calls us his friends. We're his friends. That's so great. But you have to understand this. When he said this to his 12 disciples, One of them was Thomas, who he knew was going to one day deny that he even came back. Jesus comes before him, resurrected, and Thomas is like, that's not Jesus. That's not him. I'd have to see some markings. I'd have to see some identification. That's not Jesus. He says this to Thomas. One of them that he says this to is Peter, who said, Jesus, I will never deny you, even to death, I will never deny you. And what does he do? He denies him three times. Doesn't only deny that he's one of his followers, he denies that he doesn't even know who he is. One of these people is Judas, who betrays Jesus completely and turns him over to the soldiers. When Jesus says this right here, he knows who he's talking to. He knows what they're going to do. But what does he call them? Friends. He calls them friends. Fast forward to after the resurrection. We see in John chapter 21, verse 1, Jesus encounters the disciples again. He's resurrected. He's come back to life. And this is what he says, John 21, verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this. Simon Peter... Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana, and in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, hey guys, I'm going fishing. Hey guys, I'm going fishing. Anybody want to come with me? And they're like, yeah, dude, we're down for that. Like, we got nothing to do. We're waiting for Jesus. Let's go fishing. And they said, hey, we'll go with you. We're going fishing. And they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Talk about the worst fishing trip ever. They caught nothing. That's got to be pretty bad. But we see right here this. Peter has slipped back into his old ways. He slipped back into his life before. I don't know if you knew this, but before he followed Jesus, before he walked with Jesus, he was a fisherman. That was his occupation. And we see that he's slipped back into his old ways. He's walked with Jesus. He's seen Jesus do amazing things. He even sees him come back to life. He sees him resurrected. And then he's like, you know what? I'm just going to go back to the way things were. Let's go fishing, guys. Some of you today, this is your story. 
There was a time where you and Jesus, your relationship was on fire. But you've slipped back into your old ways. You've slipped back into the old way of things. And those secret areas of sin have begun to grow in your life again. And those areas where you've let God in, they're becoming less and less and less. And today you're wondering, does God even want me back? Does he even want me back? I've completely bailed on him. I've made this decision. We had this relationship at one time and it's, it was awesome. But you know what? I fell back on my old ways. I've completely bailed. Notice what Jesus says to his disciples right here. Verse four. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, what does he call them? Children. Children, do you have any fish? And I like that word children right there. You wanna know why? Because it's closer than a friend. It's closer than a friend. He says, you guys, you bailed on me. You completely abandoned me. But guess what? The relationship isn't over. Before I called you friends, but now guess what? You're part of my family. Now we're closer than even before. My opinion has not changed about you. And so leave what you're doing. Come to shore and let's go change the world. And that message right there is the message that God has for you today. Maybe you've slipped away. Maybe you've gone back into your old way of doing things. You've gone back to the junk that you were involved in before. Right back to where you started. To that life that was easy to live. Partial devotion. And the areas of sin where you refuse to let God in. You've returned to it all. You're living that way again. And he says to you, leave it. Leave it. Come back to me. And let's go change the world. That's the message that God has for you today. And we see these disciples, they accepted his invitation. And because of it, all that we're able to do today is possible because they accepted that invitation. Is it possible for what they saw in here to happen in here? Is it possible for what happened through their lives can happen through your life today? Can I tell you this? It is possible. It is possible. But it's only possible when Christians are willing to say, I'm coming back. I'm confessing. And I'm truly repenting. I'm not going to slide back into these old ways. I'm saying I'm done. I'm over it. It's not just saying, hey, I'm sorry for what I did. I feel really badly. No. It's saying I'm done. I'm finished. I'm not living this way anymore because I'm completely devoted to you, Jesus. When Christians decide that's how I'm going to live, that's how I'm going to live my life, God can do amazing things through you and around you. But that's where it starts. I'm completely devoted to him. Others of you today, maybe you're here and you knew there was something more. 
You knew there was something more to this life. We're not just here float, flying on a mud ball, through, mud ball through outer space. We're not. You knew there was something more, didn't you? Scripture even tells us that through creation, we can see that there's a God. This didn't happen by accident. There's a creator. And you know that he's real. But has there ever been a time, has there ever been a point in your life where you put your faith in him and you said, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life, not just my savior, but to be my Lord. I'm giving you control of my life. Maybe that's you today. Whatever case it is for you today, don't just make this another service, please. Don't just make this another day in your weekend. Make this the chain reaction. The day where you said, I'm completely devoted. I'm completely devoted. That it's going to affect not only the rest of your week, it's going to affect the rest of your life. Don't be partially devoted. Don't be partially committed. But instead say this, I'm completely devoted to you, Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Discovery City Church podcast. If you've been impacted by this ministry and would like to help us continue to help others, you can give online at discoverycitychurch.com slash give.